0: Greetings and welcome to the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres, I'm your host today. My special guest is Chaplain Eric Malmstrom, United States Navy, retired. Eric was uh, originally from California, is a graduate of Concordia University in Irvine, California with a Bachelor's of Arts in Religious Studies, emphasizing in biblical languages. He also graduated from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana with a Master's of Divinity, emphasizing an exegetical theology. He enlisted in the United States Navy in 1987 and became a nuclear electrician's mate, working on some intense stuff. He was commissioned as a Navy chaplain in 2001 and completed combat tours in Iraq and Afghanistan with the United States Marine Corps. While serving as a chaplain, he continues education in pastoral clinical care and served at the Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Hampton Roads, Virginia, and Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. He recently retired from active duty service with over 20 years of of, uh, time accumulated. He has been married to his wife, Leslie, for 31 years, and they have three sons, Eric. Thank you for being on the show, and welcome. How are you doing today?
1: You're welcome. It's good to be here, Miguel. It's good to see you.
0: And you are living where now? You're living in Virginia.
1: Right. I'm up in uh, Fredericksburg area.
0: That magical point on I-95, when you're driving south and all the traffic just seems to break free, right at Fredericksburg. I don't know why. After living for four years in D.C., that's what I came to understand about the traffic going south on 95
1: Yep, and when you're heading north, it just stops right here. It does, man. It does.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. All right, Eric. So I've read a little bit about you, but I'd like to give get to get a little bit more information from you. So you are a chaplain, you are a reverend, and I am a Christian also. So my first question to you is: tell us about how you came to understand that Jesus is who He says He is and loves you the way he says he loves you?
1: That is a, uh, it's a great question. Uh, by, uh, by our church body, you know, the way we understand things and the way I always grew up is that Christ has always been a part of my life. Uh, I grew up, uh, believing in, in Christ, uh, grew up believing in Christ, grew up believing in who he is. Uh, so there was never any, any really uh, a big question uh, but I suppose when I was in college the first time, I really started to uh, to put a little bit of meat to that and and had to ask the question, well, well how do we know? How do we know that that he is the Christ? How do we know that Jesus is who he said he is and not just some nice guy with some uh, some nice platitudes to uh, you know help the world get along and teach us to be nice to one another uh, And it, w- it was then when I really started to, uh, to intellectually kind of grapple with it. And, and it really launched my faith even farther. And, and that faith grew much more when I when I started to realize that he's not just a nice guy, he's not just one of many, but, but he is who he said he is, that he actually lived this earth and, and walked among us and died on the cross and then three days rose again. And there's tons of evidence that says that he did. Seen by over five hundred people. If it was one or two, I could I could dismiss that. But but even uh, even the people that were anti-Christian at the time, even they said that, that that yeah they saw this dude, and and he did the things that he said he did, that he healed the sick, that you know he made uh, made the lame walk, made the deaf hear. He did these things. Uh, so that that was kind of the you know the big turning point was uh, was was really uh, you know putting some meat to that. And, and putting that that faith to the test.
0: Now, I the way I understand it and the way I've I've uh, heard it spoken of by other Christians who are in academia is that there's apologists, and then there's pastor, pastoral care, and it sounds like you've done a bit of both. You were raised in the church, pastoral care prominently sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, and then... As you matured, you sought an intellectual defense for the gospel as well. So it sounds like you kind of you did both. Is that right? Am I reading hearing that right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I did did a little bit of both. Uh, and it was my time in the in the military that really kind of launched that that pastoral care side where I, I did a lot more digging into that.
0: And what was it about pastoral care that that drove you to go into that?
1: It's uh, a, that's a good question. And if you ask most people that get into like the chaplain kind of business, if you will, almost everybody will say, well, I I just kind of fell into it. It just kind of happened. And, and I'm, I'm true of that one as well, that, um, you know, I uh, applied to become a chaplain when I was first a, a pastor and and started to work with the Marines and went to Iraq in 05 and, and we saw all kinds of stuff and, you know, get the, got the PTSD to prove it. Uh, so, saw all kinds of nasty things, but coming back from that, you know, sitting in a little church office saying to myself, okay, well, well, what does this mean? Why did I have all these experiences of going through the, you know, the, the trauma of combat, seeing the things I did, experiencing the things I did and, and I thought to myself, well, I can sit here in this church and maybe talk to a veteran or two who happened to come my way, or I could go back on active duty and, and look for those people. I can, I can go to Walter Reed and find those people that, uh, that went to combat. I can go to the VA and I can find those people that are, that are hurting because of, uh, because of combat and the trauma they've experienced. So, so it, was, it was kind of that experiencing of trauma myself that drove me more towards, well, how do I help other people that have trauma? How do I help other people who've, who've gone through these difficult times?
0: That is, that's intense because the, the folks that you're, you're talking about have, when people sign up for the military, predominantly DOD, you're, you're training for war and there's violence and killing and everything in between. And that's a, that's a, that's an, it's an a calling. And, and one thing that, one thing that um, has always impressed me about many Christians is that they will seek out those people. And I'm not saying there haven't been any abuses done by organizations or people that do it, but that's not, that's not the standard, that's not the norm. It's a pretty impressive thing when you when you see that someone wants to help people because they're made in God's image as well and not because they're trying to earn brownie points with God. And that is that has always impressed me about many, many Christians. So I'd like to ask you about some of the folks that you you were, uh, Talking with the VA centers, of course, there's 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 physical pain. There's physical pain. I'm sure there's there's uh, amputations, but there's also the PTSD part of it, post traumatic stress dis, um, disorder, and there's also, I imagine, having gone through health issues myself and with family and friends. I'd like to ask you if if many of the people you talked with asked you about what your thoughts and beliefs were on the meaning of life like what is what how is it when somebody's dealing with intense pain from violence that they volunteered to go commit and now they've been injured severely and are in a hospital i imagine that that they're wondering about life period did you did you run into anything like that or anything similar to it
1: oh absolutely yeah we we ended up talking about that a lot um especially, you know, in the combat zone when, you know, you're not sure if when you, when you hop on that seven ton truck, if it's, if it's the last time you're going to, you're going to see anybody. Uh, you're, you're wondering if it's your last trip to the head. Uh, you're, you're constantly thinking about that of, you know, what, what does this mean and what's, what's the purpose behind it? Um, you know, there was, there was a guy years ago who came out of um, Auschwitz and, um, Ah, uh, Viktor Frankl was his name. He wrote a a book called The uh, *Man's Search for Meaning*, and it was that was a pretty pivotal book for me to to kind of read that book, because he talked about um, when you look into it's called theodicy. When you look into that that problem of pain, that problem of what why do bad things happen to good people, which is a, a common question to ask. You know, why did this why did this happen to me? Why did I lose my leg? Uh, why did my, my best friend die? Why am I alive and they're dead? Uh, all, all those kind of questions come up. But when you, when you read a, a book like uh, you know, by Viktor Frankl, some others will try to figure out well, well, why there is pain, why there are difficulties in the world. But guys like Frankl, um, uh, Rabbi Kushner is another one. They, they wrote things and they, they pretty much start off just saying, well, there is evil in the world. Bad things do happen to good things. They don't, they don't stop and get themselves wrapped up on why, but they, they take the next step and just say, okay, well, there, there just is. Um, bad things happen to us. Bad things happen to me. I'm sure bad things have happened to you. There bad things happen to everybody who's, who's listening. Uh, but there, there is a, a good side to all of that, that, that sometimes that, that trauma can take you out of where you are and put you into a different place, uh, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Uh, it can put you into a, a different different kind of a place. And like as, as Victor Frankl talks about, it's kind of key for all of us to, to kind of figure out and wrestle with, well, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this pain? What am I gonna do with this struggle? What am I gonna do with this, this bad stuff that happened? And, and I, I've seen it a lot doing counseling in the military where you know somebody who might be the victim of a military sexual trauma, where they might come out of that and, and now they're inspired to become a lawyer so they can prosecute people who, who commit violent crimes. They may want to become a police officer so they can they can catch the people who do it. They may want to become a counselor to help other people who've suffered military trauma. They, they, there's all kinds of possibilities that might come out of that. Uh, I, I had some, some friends, for example, that uh, every Memorial Day, they would run over 100 miles. They would run from Richmond up to Arlington, and they would... Yeah, yeah, 100-mile run, ultra marathon stuff. And they would raise money for the the victims of, of the fallen uh, who were with us uh, over there in Iraq. So they would run, they would get sponsors, and every Memorial Day, they would just give money to all these people that were hurting. So they took their own trauma, their own personal pain, and they used that to inspire them. Uh, I have another friend who became a a a bodybuilder and he got up to the, to the point where he was at that, the point of, uh, in the Arnold competitions. So he was, he
0: was pretty high up there. Yeah. That's that's (laughs) by invitation only on the professional and the amateur side. So you're, you're, you're recognized as somebody who could win.
1: Absolutely. And, and he, he started off with that, that diagnosis of PTSD and he turned to bodybuilding to try to, uh, to deal with that. He ended up um, not taking any medications or doing anything like that. And it really helped him to, to find a way to channel that energy, that negative energy, turn it into a positive and and became this, this championship bodybuilder. So I saw it in a lot of people where they, they take this trauma, they take this pain, and there's a lot of energy there, a lot of negative energy. And if you just let it sit inside of yourself, It causes more pain, it causes more depression, and it really starts to spiral down. But if you take that energy and channel it towards something positive, it can have tremendous impacts. That's why we have things like um, um, Amber Alerts. It came out of a family's tragedy, a family's pain, but they started the Amber Alerts as a result of that. So now, you know who knows how many thousands of people have been saved because of Amber Alerts. Um, all those, a lot of different laws. There's a um, Polly class out in California. She was another one where where they they took that tragedy and enacted laws that that help people that are um, abducted, people that are being abused. Uh, so they they take that pain and they turn it around and use it for something good, use it for something positive. Uh, there, there's a movie called, um, it's called the bridge, um, where there was a gentleman who, who ended up jumping off the golden gate bridge, uh, because of, uh, a lot of paranoid, uh, schizophrenia, um, and had a lot of mental disorders. Uh, and, and as a result of that, he tried to commit suicide on the golden gate bridge. He ended up surviving that by thanks be to the coast guard and thanks be to God that he survived that. But now he took meaning that the coast guard. Uh, coast
0: guard found him in the water and rescued him.
1: Yep, coast guard pulled him out of the water. That's and what they Rescued <laughs> him. Um, there were actually sea lions that were keeping him above water until the coast guard got there. You know, talk about really? the hand of God. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Um, but uh,
0: but oh, wait, he, do you, do you a, know any more about that? Because that sounds that's that that sounds like an interesting story right there.
1: Well, absolutely. Sea lions were
0: literally keeping him buoyant so he could breathe.
1: Yep, they literally—he broke his back and broke his leg. Oh. Um, but the sea lions kept him above water until the Coast Guard got there. And now he travels the world, and he helps inspire people to talk about uh, mental health issues. Uh, they also put up a, a net around the bridge to help protect people from jumping off the bridge. So, so again, there, there's so many people who've taken pain in their lives and channeled that to something positive so that they personally can say, okay, this is the reason why I went through this this painful thing, this difficult thing, so that now I can turn around and I can use it as a positive.
0: That's impressive. That's impressive. Because as you saw, as you were talking about that, I couldn't help but think that the gospel beginning with Genesis is something similar to that story. There's, there's Eden in Genesis, and then there's the fall of mankind. And from that pain, redemption is provided for.
1: Absolutely,
0: from a place of pain and death. Yes. So that when is... you think
1: about the uh, the pain of Christ and the crucifixion that that pain that um, that suffering that he went through was for me and for you so that we could have everlasting life that we could have salvation that no matter where we are no matter how broken we are he takes us in our brokenness and lifts us out of that and gives us everlasting life which is incredible
0: and that speaks directly to the problem of evil the problem of pain or the problem of evil and that that defense the other let me let me get back to the second point that i thought of um as i was listening to you tell me the story about that man who jumped off the bridge and that is when you were talking about if you have if 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 you're in a negative place things you're discouraged really it's it starts with discouragement i mean I don't think people just go, yep, I'm gonna, you know, some people may choose to be in a bad mood, but they actually literally have to force themselves to do it because they have to choose to say, all right, right, I'm that would normally makes me happy, but today I'm not. I don't think that really, I don't think too many people really willingly go into that. I think people become depressed from pain, physical or mental, emotional, and it becomes a root of bitterness and and that's what i was thinking of as you're saying if, if we stew on these thoughts for too long they will they will manifest themselves in our lives and you as you were giving examples of people who decided to not dwell on negative negative thoughts or discouragement but to use those things to propel them into a positive area that that really i can there's two things i thought i thought of the gospel and i thought of how the gospel Dries up roots of bitterness and it's amazing how we can have an objective truth that is worked out subjectively in each of us if that makes sense does that make sense to you in other words i'm not saying truth is subjective i'm saying my life is going to be different than yours but we're still connected by the subjective truth that is the gospel does that make sense
1: (laughs) absolutely and uh and you mentioned before um that we we view somebody as a child of God, somebody who is created in God's image. and that in itself gives that individual a tremendous amount of value. So so there are there are some of those Christians that are doing doing good things because they want to earn brownie points. they want to impress God, they want to impress their neighbor. they want to they they uh, they they have that false idea that you know they want to, Earn extra uh, jewels for their crown when they get to heaven. But then there are other Christians, authentic Christians that see the individual for who they are, that this is a child of God, that this is a person that Christ died for. Christ rose again on the third day for that individual. That's how valuable that person is to God. And so you know, for me to di- dismiss that person, uh, I think uh, kind of, is disrespectful to God and and what he did for that person. But it, it gives me a lot of um, encouragement, no matter who that person is, no matter, you know, where they are in their life, no matter if they're in the, in a peak or a valley, wherever they are, they're still one of God's children. And if God loves them enough to die for them, then, then maybe I can, I can help them out too. You know, I can also have compassion on that person and I can try to come alongside of them. I, I had this really weird experience um, working at the VA center.
0: Is this and in we, uh, Virginia
1: or? Uh, at the Veterans Affairs. In Hampton Roads? In Hampton Roads. Okay. And, and some of the, they had me working in the, the inpatient psych ward. And and some of the people you, you look at in there, you're like, you know, yeah, that, that dude really belongs here. And there are other people where you're like, you know what? I, I could be here along with this guy, because, you know, we, we have a, the same story. So I could, I could be there just along with this guy, but there's, there's this one character that, I mean, he was crazy. I mean, he was, he absolutely belonged there. Um, and I don't mean that in a, in a negative sense that this guy he needed, really help. needed, he needed, he needed help. a lot He's, of help. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I gave him a Bible and one day I was kind of wrestling with, uh, well, well, how do I, um uh, what am I doing here, and, and how, how am I really helping these people? And this this guy, who's, who's off the charts, you know, kind of crazy, he comes up to me with his Bible one day, and he says, Chaplain, hey, what do you make of this passage? And he handed the Bible to me, and the passage he had underlined was uh, that we should uh, share one another's burdens as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, what the heck does that mean? And it, wow. it kind of hit me. He was like, you know, that's, that's exactly what we're doing, is that we're, we're sharing one another's burdens, that we we come alongside one another and say, hey, brother, what are you struggling with? And this is what I'm struggling with. And, and we share that burden with one another. And by doing that, that's how we help each other. That's how we uh, encourage each other, no matter where they are. That, uh, you know, the sin you struggle with may be no problem, you know, for for you or or the sin. Let me let me make sure I say this right. The sin I don't that know where I, you're going, but go ahead
0: and say it again.
1: <laughs> the, the sin that I struggle with may be no problem for you, and and vice versa. The sin that you struggle with may be no problem for me, but we're both struggling with sin, right? We're we're both. So so it's not for me to look down on you because hey, you're struggling with this, and you don't look down on me because I'm struggling with what I'm struggling with, because. You know, we're, we're both children of God. we're both struggling with things in our lives. so so you you don't want to look down on these guys. It's like this guy he had a, he had a lot he had to struggle with. Um, when he shared his story about his childhood, he had some some deep wounds that he was struggling with and and it was it obviously hurt him you know for many, many years. So so that's why I say I don't I don't put it in a pejorative term that this guy was, you know, just just crazy. He was he was hurt. He was a broken individual um, and I don't look down on him at all. But but totally respect him for uh, for trying to get treatment and get help and uh, and struggle with the things that he did struggle with. But as a child of God, it was my my task to come alongside of him and sharing that burden, sharing his struggles.
0: So I agree. I agree 100 percent with you, Eric, completely. And I think that my, my, I'll, I'll give my experience has been that I, I'll tell you right now, I have, we have a hard time finding a church and that's because what you did, the, 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 the fellowship between people that you just described requires two things, vulnerability. You have to make yourself vulnerable and two, you have to trust the person you're making yourself vulnerable to. Mm-hmm. and for some reason, I don't think it's just me because I think, I think it's uh, you know I, th- I think it's become prevalent in many denominational churches. Is that nobody wants to look like they're failing in anything? Absolutely. Uh, they they go to church and they want to look like they're like like they like to a T, and and that 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 is that leads to another thought that I want to discuss with you, and, and that is. I think there are many people that are Christian and non-Christian that, that believe once you become a Christian that boom, you just like, you just don't, you know, you're, you're, you're perfect. You don't make any mistakes. You, you are an, you've all of a sudden become an authority on, on uh, righteousness and, and you, you are good to go. Now, the thing that I've heard from some messages at different churches is that you're saved by grace, but then you have to perform to maintain your righteousness, and I think that's where the the uh, the confusion comes in. If somebody mm-hmm. believes that they can't earn their grace to be saved, but then is told that they need to perform X, Y, and Z in order to keep it, there's a contradiction there that uh, that I think. You're familiar with, because I know you and I have discussed it before. And I'd like you to uh, speak briefly or, or however long, take your time actually, Eric, take your time. <laughs> but uh, Reformation, Martin Luther, right. and what righteousness by grace, grace by faith, righteous, well, I'm not saying I got <laughs> righteous by grace through faith and faith alone.
1: Right. And that's, uh, that's kind of the, the crux of the whole Christian faith right there. Um, we come from uh, in the Lutheran Church with Martin Luther. It's a very liturgical, uh, liturgical church body. And we begin every church service with a confession absolution, where we start off every single Sunday where we say, I, a poor, miserable sinner, I <laughs> have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by, by th- what I've done and what I've left undone. Um, and, and we ask God to be merciful to us. So every every Sunday, we start up a church service by saying that. And, and I think about the impact that has on everybody around me, where, you know, if my kids stop and listen to mom and dad both say, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess- yeah. You all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. They hear the pastor say the same thing. They hear, you know, the little old lady in the pew next to them saying the same thing, that we all start from this position, that, that we're all sinful. Uh, and one of my, my professors would always say that we're, we're sinful not because of what we do, but because of who we are. That as long as we retain this, this flesh about us, there, there's going to be a, a sinful inclination. Uh, you know, in the nuke power world, we'd always say that we had a 50-50-90 rule. That if uh, if you had a 50-50 chance of guessing right, 90% of the time you'd guess wrong. You know, that and, it, and that, that's Tough, really, Those cool.
0: are hard odds.
1: <laughs> and they are. They are. But when it comes to sin... You know, if you've got a 50-50 chance of guessing the right thing to do, 90% of the time, you're going to guess wrong. You're going to do the wrong thing. So that we we continue to struggle with stint. Uh, one of, one of the, the, the tasks I had as a chaplain was working at a nursing home. And you'd have, like, these guys that are, you know, 90 years old. And I'd have the nurse come talk to me. Chaplain, you need to talk to Mr. So-and-so. I say, okay. Well, well, what do I need to talk to him about? They say, well, I was over at the the medicine cart, and I bent over to grab his medications, and he goosed me from behind. He grabbed me. Would you go? Would you go talk to him? Or, or she'd say, you know, I I leaned over to uh, to check his his uh, heart and his pulse, and and he he grabbed a handful when I was when I was doing that. So I'd go, and that this wasn't just one guy. I mean, the, these are all these these old guys. I've heard, that, I've heard
0: i've heard uh i've heard of this too <laughs> i've heard of this too and i'm not <laughs> laughing because it's funny because i'm thinking the woman i'm thinking of she didn't mind that was her, that was her. Yeah. it was funny because i was like really you let them do this?" she's like well she she had a different perspective on it it was it was kind of funny so i i apologize yeah. no no no. you can but- see my face we're gonna we're, we're gonna post this in audio but you can see my face right now so you saw me smiling so i didn't want you to think that that I was laughing at that because that's not what I was laughing at
1: but but the the point I I was trying to come to was even these guys that are you know 90 years old still struggle with sin you know and these are people that are Christians their whole lives they struggle with sin Um, you and I we're going to struggle with sin our whole lives which means we constantly turn back to Christ we constantly turn back and say Lord forgive me a sinner I I I've messed up yet again, because we're, we're always going to struggle with that. Now, when somebody might look from the outside in, you know, like you, Miguel, you might look at me and you say, wow, here's this, this man of God, that when I see him talking with people, when I see him going about his business as a chaplain, I see this really godly man, right? But when I look at myself, when I look into my thoughts, when I look into my feelings, I keep seeing the same old sins. I keep seeing the same old temptations. I I keep seeing all that. So internally, I keep seeing where I let God down, where I I fail God from a day-to-day basis. But somebody else looking from the outside in, they might say, wow, look at at how far this person has grown over their lives. Look at uh, how far they've come from what they used to be. So, so others might see something completely different from, uh, from where we really are uh, internally. But that really is a struggle that you bring up with, within churches uh, of having that, that churchly image, of having that godly image. And you know if we're authentic about it, if we're real about it, we're going to say, no, I'm not as, as godly as you think I am. I'm not as, as perfect as you think I am. I struggle. I struggle every day, um, many times a day with, with things. I've come a long way, but I still struggle. You know, the it's it's still in me. So we we constantly turn back. We constantly go back to uh, to Christ and go back to His forgiveness. Martin Luther used to say that we're uh, it's a Latin phrase called "simul justus et peccator, that we're we're sim- simultaneously justified by Christ and at the same time sinful because of who we are. And we'll always do that, no matter how old we get, no matter uh, how involved in the church we get, we're always going to struggle with that. But the, the good news is, you know, Christ came to save sinners, which means you qualify.
0: You know,
1: Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief, as Paul said, that that I, I am a sinner and Christ came to save me, which is absolutely great news.
0: Amen. Amen. So, what we're talking about is is transformation, and I can readily relate to all that Eric is talking about right now, and I know that there are many others who do too. And when it comes to transformation, this is this is this is how uh, when I said we we're tied together by an objective truth, the gospel but how each of us walks it out will look different because we're each individuals.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We, we have, we are sovereign individuals, intrinsic value. I heard you say that intrinsic value. And that is demonstrated in in scripture. When he said, when, when uh, in Genesis, when they said, let us make man in our image, male and female were made in the image of God, giving us intrinsic value from the beginning. When we be, when somebody, accepts Christ as their savior I've heard a couple of different things I've heard one evangelist he's an apologist say that he's like okay I just gave up all all avenues of having fun in life I'm gonna Christian now my life is over <laughs> I will no longer have any fun I'm gonna dry up and and be a, a stuffy-duddy for the remainder of my life but I have eternity and That was literally his perspective and his perspective has changed. Obviously he's, he's, he's come to work around the world and, and, uh, has great joy, but that transformation process. When I see many churches, I understand that they want to see, they want to see the change in people because they're looking for something real too. I think sometimes a template is designed, as to when all people should hit certain benchmarks in their walk with the Lord as they would say. and I think that part is dangerous because that can be faked and I think right. that right. that sometimes when it's kind of like hey you've hit all these wickets, you're up here, you're a Christian up here now and and that's that 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 that's always been something that's been on my mind about that because, it's taken time. And just like you said, these, these, these senior citizens in their nineties are still struggling with stuff that if you ask them, they'd probably say, I wish, I wish I could stop dealing with that, but they just can't, they can't set it down. And scripture is clear about that. Scripture is clear. When, when Paul says he, he, in prayer, he's saying, Lord, this thing is like a thorn in my side. And we're not going to talk about what that thorn was because there's all kinds of you know ideas on that but the point is is that something is riddling his mind and his heart so badly that he's saying take it away because i can't handle it anymore so that's that's basically something that's consuming your thoughts and you don't want it to be because you know it doesn't belong there and the lord's prayer to him is said and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you know—we both know which one we're on. Which scripture? I can't remember the the book or the the chapter or the verse. But but it he says, "My grace is sufficient." In other words, look, God is telling Paul, "I know you're not going to you're you you can not be Christ. You cannot be perfect on this earth right now. Right, but my right. Son's blood covers you. So when I look at you, you are perfect for all eternity. And while you're on this earth, your feet are going to get dirty." literally and figuratively so when you feet get dirty from walking and seeing seeing things that you wish you hadn't seen hearing things you wish you didn't hadn't hadn't heard but you still had to deal with it you wash your mind this was I think this is cool you wash your mind with the water of the word in other words mm-hmm. reading or listening to scripture or a message on the gospel and that that can be that that's that can be all over depending on who you hear yeah (laughs) listening to the word itself reading scripture yourself or hearing it audio will literally cleanse your mind and it does i mean it literally does it's 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 amazing and when i think about a lot of these franchise books and that have turned into movies if you're looking about them like lord of the rings the potter's Harry Potter's, they're all boiling down to this this tension between good and evil. There is a distinct evil, and there is a distinct good. And the characters in these stories recognize that. But none of them are perfect. They all have failures. And I think that's one thing that's very relieving and also revealing about Scripture is that Throughout the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, failures are not swept under the rug. They are all brought out and recorded for eternity.
1: You know, that was and
0: that, uh, that is, that says a lot about the God who gave himself up for us. He's saying, no, no, but, and I, I'm, I'm gonna, I don't wanna, I don't wanna lose this point. So I'll come back to it. But, Because I know you want to say something. So that that is something that is so revealing about God and his love for us in Christ, in his word, that it's. um, I think too many people believe it's too good to be true. And I think there's too many pastors who are afraid and preaching from a place of fear that believe it's too good to be true. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, you're, You're talking about the question, how do I know that I'm saved? Um. And, and really it comes down to yes. really it comes down to do I look outside of myself or do I look inside? If I'm looking inside of myself saying I know that I'm saved because now I don't cuss, now I don't drink, now I don't smoke, now I don't whatever, now I don't dance now I, now I stopped having fun so now I know I'm saved. as soon as you do that, as soon as you say, I know I'm saved because, because I made a decision, because I did anything, as soon as, you, as soon as you point to I, it's going to be a failure. You're going to let yourself down at some point. You have to look outside of yourself. It has to be an objective justification when I can say, I know I'm saved because Christ died, Christ rose again. And he promised us, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whoever puts their faith in me has everlasting life. These are the promises of scripture where, yes, it, you do get an evidence of, uh, of, of good works of a person who believes in, in Christ, who puts their faith in Christ. Um, you do get that, that evidence of good works that comes from it. But it doesn't mean an absence of sin. Because, like I said, as soon as you look to yourself, as soon as you you look for an internal confirmation of your salvation, you're gonna be let down. You're gonna be disappointed because you're gonna see in yourself these failings. You're gonna see where you're still struggling with the sin. You're still struggling with uh, anger issues. You're still struggling with uh, jealousy. You're still struggling with whatever. You know, put put that. Put a name to whatever thorn you want, whatever it is that that Paul was struggling with, that that you wish that God would take it away from you. But he encourages us to look outside. My grace is sufficient that I need to look to Christ, not to myself. Whenever I sin, I look to Christ. Whenever I I do something good, I can say that's not me, but it's Christ working in me that does these things. Luther even called us a a drain pipe. Um, and that's, that's more of a, a cleaned up version. It's more of a, of a, um, a sewer pipe that God's love flows through us and affects other people. That it's not me. I'm just the vessel, but it's God's love working through me that does these things. Cause there, there are so many times Miguel, where somebody would come back and say, you know, you know, chaplain, you had this, this tremendous impact on my life because you, you said this or you did that and i'm i'm struggling trying to remember the guy's name or remember what i did or remember this this thing that that they talked about but they're but they say you know no you had this this huge impact because you know you looked at me or you you said something to me or you were there when i needed you or or something that, that i can't even put my, my finger on but we have this this impact on other people sharing that love of Christ wherever we go. But it's not me doing it. It's, it's not me doing good things. It's, is God doing them in me. And, and I have, I have a bunch of examples of, of that, but, uh, but that's really what it comes down to is how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that, that Christ is in me? And when I look at myself, I'm always going to be disappointed. Uh, I think Luther said, "When when I look at myself, I can't believe that I'm saved, but when I look at Christ, I, I can't believe that I'm
0: not." Amen. That is good, because so the scripture, the parable that I'm thinking of, the scripture that I'm thinking of, because this is this is I'm raising three young boys, right? So nine, eight, and five, and <laughs> you know, there's a lot of there's a lot going on in every day of our lives, right? So the scripture where Jesus tells the disciples to push out and throw their net over the side and Peter's response is, we've been out all night long and caught nothing, but because you said it, we'll go do it. Mm -hmm. His expectations are low. His expectation is we ain't gonna catch anything we've been doing this for hours all night, Jesus, but you know what? I have this respect for you. There's, there's something about you that that I'll go do it because you, you asked, because you said, and he does that. And they didn't really catch the fish, right? They just did as did as directed. And the, the nets were filled with fish, an abundance of fish. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I was thinking of as you're talking about when you say, you know, Because being in the military and being in life period, people want to have, people want to do good things. I think a lot of people want to do good things. But pride can come in and all of a sudden, the person who is doing the good thing is is become more than they should be. And, And scripturally, I'm thinking of some pastors who have said, the donkey that jesus rode into jerusalem before the passover the donkey is saying hey look at me look everybody's happy to see me everybody's throwing their palm fronds down on the ground so i can step on them putting their jackets down so i have a nice clean path to walk my hooves on and
1: it's amazing
0: because we are part of the story we are part of the plan and he loves us and takes care of us all the way through and i just can't i i had to i had to share that because as you're talking about it it is it is uh from a theological perspective i completely get it now somebody listening from the outside who isn't a christian i can understand why they'd have more questions and let me ask you this one question we're going to shift gears we've done a lot we've done a lot of conversation on the on the christian side you've you've seen a lot and you've done a lot and we've talked about post-traumatic stress disorder and veterans and how you've helped them with counseling. So I wanna ask you what your opinion about cannabis is. And when I say cannabis, I mean the CBD and the THC, both of them there, cause there's there's many forms of, of uh, the plant that have medicinal help. And there are some organizations led by military, retired military professionals that are advocating for the VA to start treating veterans with cannabis because the drugs they're giving the veterans now are worse than the pain that they're going through. in other words, the side effects of opioids and all different types of narcotics is literally wrecking the lives of veterans who are supposed to be trying to get their lives back after severe injury and trauma. So I'd like to ask you what your thoughts are on that as, as, as as a chaplain. And as a counselor, and as a human being in general,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a great question. And I know that the whole point of your your podcast, um, and and as a as a Christian, you know, from the the Christian perspective, looking at this, uh, there's there's a couple couple of aspects to consider. Uh, one, you know, as as we talk about that that transformation of your life, um, one is. You know, God calls us to be a good citizen. You know, tells us to honor the authorities, those who've been been put over us. And so, this is where it gets kind of gray and kind of kind of mucky, especially right now, where you have some states who said it's legal, and you have the federal government that says it's not legal, and everywhere in between. Some saying you can use it for recreation, some saying use it for medicinal purposes only. You're you're kind of in that that gray area. So if you are a Christian living in a, a state where it's not legal, then it would it would be um I, I would say not pleasing to God to use cannabis if you were in a in a place like that. Um, if you are in a state that that says you know you you can use it, then, then I think the Christian is free to use it. Um, According to the mandates of that state, that it says it's it's legal for recreational use uh, or for medicinal use to use it uh, for those things. Because I have I've talked to a lot of people who've said that it's helped. Um, I've talked to people with with different um, uh, disabilities, with different uh, mental health issues, and and for a lot of people it is very helpful for them. Um, now. Now, the, the other question out there is, what, what does the science say? Is it, uh, is it harmful to you? Is it uh, helpful to you? Um, I'll let them bicker about that. I'll let them kind of figure out whether that's safe to use or, or how much to use or what's the best, best method to use it. Uh, I think that's kind of, I'll, I'll leave that up to them. Uh, the, other, the other passage to consider is, uh, you mentioned St. Paul. Or he, he gave some guidance regarding um, using meats that have been offered to idols. And, and this is the principle that, that we're kind of working off of, that he said in, in, that, um, in that passage that if somebody, if somebody, uh, a Christian thinks that it's, it's against God's law or it's, it's unchristian to, to use cannabis, then I would say then abstain from it. Even if you think that, that there's nothing wrong with it, if you think it's good, when you're in the presence of that person, abstain from it so that, uh, that they're not offended by it. Um, it'd be like, um, you know, in some Christian denominations, they think it's sinful to drink alcohol. So if I was talking with somebody like that, I would, I would pick up a, a Pepsi and drink a Pepsi or drink a ginger ale or an iced tea. Something along those lines with that, that person so that they wouldn't be offended because they would they would spend the whole time thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe this person is drinking. And they wouldn't hear anything I would say. And they, they wouldn't have a good interaction with you. And it would all be lost. And, and the same thing here with, with, uh, with the use of cannabis, that if, if somebody was you know, opposed to it, they said, you know what, this is absolutely ungodly to use cannabis. Abstain from it, rather than you know lighten up in front of them, uh, so that that way you can have a good conversation with them. Uh, you can have an honest conversation with them if you if you abstain for their sake. Uh, I think that's important to do. Um, but if you come to an agreement, you know, with that that other believer that you know it's it's okay to use and let's let's try this out or you know see if this helps with. You know, dealing with PTSD or depression or, or what have you, I, th- I think it'd be it'd be safe to do that as long as it's it's legal in that state. You know, and the other thought too is if you're, you know, like you know when we were working for the federal government, yeah, uh-huh. if I'm going to lose my job for it. Then no, I'm not. Yeah, gonna.
0: there's no choice at all. The answer is no we got, yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, got we have to take the urine tests.
1: Absolutely. You know, and 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 there were some people that uh, you know fooled the urine test for years and found a way around it. Uh, I knew a few individuals who did that, um, but it is still, it puts you in a bad spot uh, to do that. It, it really, it compromises your own integrity and compromises your own honor uh, if, if you're violating that law yourself.
0: I don't know, I, I don't know anybody in the. I haven't heard of anybody who used it, who tried to fake urine in a military, but I know people on the civilian side who have tried it. And there, the concept is the Walter same. Reed. It's kind of like it's kind of like you you you're doing something that this organization or whatever whatever it is you're going to is saying you can't do that. There, so if you still want guy, that thing, well then you yeah. can't do it. it it's plain yeah. and simple. It,
1: there, there's a guy to Walter you. Reed that did it for several years, where he was um, he'd bring in the the fake the bags of of clean urine, um, and even had a prosthetic that he would use. So he'd go in for the urinalysis and would come back clean. Um, one day he forgot to bring it in. And so he popped positive and they called him in and he said, yep, I've been using for years. I've been, uh, I've been using this prosthetic and this clean urine for years. Um, so I'm, I'm just surprised it took so long to catch me and, and went along with it and they processed him out of the military.
0: Um, was he bringing, was he bringing urine to work every single day? He was.
1: Every single day he had it in his backpack.
0: Oh my gosh. See that, 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 that's just not, when I think about it, I'm like, man, you gotta worry about a bag of urine popping in your yep. backpack and then stinking and people going, why do you carry urine in your backpack? Yeah. That, that, that kind of effort, you know, that kind of effort to do something like that, it just wasn't worth it to me in the military at all. Cause I did use cannabis before the military in college after high school. But uh, yeah, I, I, I ran the, I ran the, uh, your analysis coordination, my, my first tour out of officer candidate school mm-hmm. and yeah, piss just doesn't smell good, man. <laughs> I don't know how yep. anybody would want to carry yep. a bag around of it, a bag of it around with them every single day. That's wow. There was one thing you were talking about abstaining. If there's somebody who does not, agree with whether it's alcohol, cannabis, or even tobacco, uh, because an evangelist like R.C. Sproul smoked for decades and ended up passing away from smoke. uh, I think it was COPD type symptoms several years ago. So whatever, whatever the thing is, you basically what you're saying, and this is what scripture says, is respect the other person, you know, respect the other person. And it's, it's, and, I, and I say this specifically because we hear a lot of things, we hear the word tolerance a lot lately, right? You, you got to right, tolerate right. these things. Well, and I've heard other people say, I don't know other, I don't know who many, I don't know many people who like to be just tolerated, right? I mean, right. if, if uh, I went and visited some family last week from out, out of town, and, and if I came back, my wife was asked me how it went, and I said, oh, I tolerated everybody. That it sounds like sure I had a miserable me. time, right? It sounds like I had yeah. a miserable time. But respect is different. Respect is totally different. Respect is, and this is what I think people really want. People don't want to be tolerated. I think a lot of people feel that they're tolerated already. They want to be shown respect. And that is what you, you, you basically perfectly recited the biblical mandate. It's, it's respect each other. Even if it means putting something aside that you do, temporarily while you're around that person care enough about someone else enough to do that because you as soon as you leave that situation you can do the thing that you're waiting to do and that is something that is something that uh i see coming to a greater head in the church and in the western world and cannabis i think is going to further drive that especially with the federal government now actively talking about legalizing it federally. And that definitely makes a difference. Um, the church is going to have to work with that somehow. Um, I've heard some other apologists say that something similar to what you said, right? If it has med- med medicinal purposes, and there's one person who is uh, who I, I, I think he's a great apologist. I think he, he, he's very evidence-based. He takes the apologist approach, but applies scripture to it as well. And he's saying, you know, if, if you have a glass of wine or two and you're not drunk, but you, you, you've got the effect that you wanted to get from it and you're, you still have your wits about you, there's nothing wrong with that. And he said he agreed. To, he's like, with cannabis, my opinion is the same thing. And I do lean towards that because I drink, but I know that the days of me partying until I'm like, hey, we're just wasted and having a good time at the bars all night long. That's no longer who I am, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's, hey, it's been, a. I just want to have, I just want to enjoy, but I don't want to lose my wits. I want to keep my wits about me. And that is something about p- cannabis that is, Interesting because usually when you hear a doctor talking about consuming alcohol, it's the negative side effects of alcohol to your liver, to other, you know, it's a depressant, the medical side effects. There's a lot of research being done about on cannabis because the trials, re- clinical trials, and research have now been opened up more so than they have been in most of the 20th century. And there are many, many benefits to it. And I don't mean just the THC side, I'm talking about the CBD side and, and a lot of things in the plant in general. And I was talking with a, a young man, well, he, he's a young man, definitely. And he was raised Jehovah's Witness. And he grows cannabis now, like warehouses, like he, he's, he's, he's come up that way. And uh, his big question to, to his father and his parents were, well, if God made the earth, didn't he also make the cannabis plant? And if he made the cannabis plant, he probably did it for a reason for us to use it. Now I'm not talking about abuse, but to use it because there's a benefit to the human body. And medical professionals have identified an endocannabinoid system inside the human body. And just like the opioid, I think, I'm not sure if I had the term correct, opioid, There's a, there's a, there's a system in our bodies that opioids trigger. I can't remember the exact name of the system, but something along the same lines, parallel to it. And I may not have the science on this because I'm not a medical professional. So anybody in the cannabis industry listening to this, please don't tear me up. My point is this, is that the human body has an endocannabinoid system. And I find that really intriguing, especially because there's a plant that feeds it. So what are your thoughts on, on creation and the cannabis plant? I know it's kind of a, it's a big one and broad, but it is. I can't help but think that God made it because it's here.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and I believe that, that God made it, that uh, God created that. Um, he gave us uh, all of these things for us to enjoy and to use. Um, you know, the, the scriptures even talk about, uh, you know, God, God gave the, gave us wheat, uh, and gave us, gave us wine to make men's hearts glad. Um, so the scriptures even talk about that, that God gave us wine to, to gladden our hearts. Um, and, and so all these things were, were created for our use, uh, but, but like you said, obviously not their, their misuse and not their, not their abuse, um. And, and from my understanding of things that a lot of the, uh, the cannabis now has been uh, engineered so that it's stronger, it's more potent than what it used to be. Um, and I, I would put that more into the abuse side. If you, if you, uh, you know, genetically modify it to make sure that it's, it's even stronger and gives you more of that, uh, that, that high effect, that, that that's an abuse of it, you know? but to have it in the more natural effect the more natural uh, you know, creation of it, I, I don't think that would be—that'd be, be a bad use of it. Um, but, but you know, like you said, it's—I um, think opinions are changing on it, thoughts are changing on it. Um, we're going to have to wait for a lot of the science to catch up on. You know, what are the what's the right use of it? You know, what's an acceptable use of it? Along with kind of know, knowing your own body—that you know, some people can't drink alcohol; it makes them sick. Uh, Some people know that if they touch it, that uh, bad things are going to happen. So the same thing here that, you know, kind of knowing yourself, uh, knowing, uh, you know, the effects that it's going to have on you. I think that's, that's important to, uh, to remember, as well as, you know, what, what are the public perceptions? You know, when, when Paul talked about, you know, certain dress for women, that he encouraged them not to dress a certain way, because people would confuse them with a prostitute. So, same kind of principle here. That if you're if you're using it, what, what's the what's the public perception going to be? You know, especially if you're if you're flaunting it, if you're uh, making a big deal of it. Um, I, I would say if you are going to use it, you know, use it quietly at home, use it in a controlled uh, situation where you're safe. Uh, th- things of that that nature, so that you're not causing harm to yourself or anybody else, and and respecting those around. You know, if your neighbors start complaining then then you've got an issue. You know if they're saying it smells like pot all the time, you've got another issue. You know f- find some other way to do it or some other place.
0: Okay, so I got to ask Eric. Should that same standard be applied to alcohol? Got to ask. A, I got to ask because that's what that's what a lot of that's the cannabis industry yeah. saying, hey, and these are the questions. I think it's good for us to be talking about. I love it. So what do you what do you that's think? A,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think we should have a, an individual standard for it. Um, I think it should be the same standards that we, we use for alcohol, uh, that, you know, as a Christian, I believe that I, I have the freedom to drink, but if I'm at your house and you say, Hey, we don't drink in this house, you know, I'm not going to bring a bottle of wine as a gift, you know, and I'm not going to say, Hey, let's, let's broke up, break open a bottle of scotch and celebrate. I'm, I'm not going to do that with you. You know, we'll, we'll have some lemonade and some iced tea. Um, but if you do say that that you're okay with it, then then yeah, we'll have a glass of wine with dinner, um, and enjoy the things that, that God has made for us. Uh, so so I think we we want to be consistent in our application here. Um, that if if you're offended by it, I'm going to abstain. Um, same thing with with cannabis use. If you're offended, I'm gonna I'm gonna abstain. Um, but I'm gonna use it responsibly the same way I'd use alcohol. I'm not gonna drive after drinking. I'm not gonna do. Uh, I'm not going to make major decisions after drinking. I'm not going to do, you know, all these things that I wouldn't do when I'm drinking. Uh, I wouldn't advocate for doing the same thing with with, uh, with cannabis. So I think we do need to be consistent in that um, and say that, you know, yeah, as long as it's legal. And, and that's the question, too. When uh, when alcohol was not legal, then it, w- it would be in the wrong for me to drink because it's, it goes against the laws of the state. And the scriptures tell me to uh, to obey those uh, those in authority over me, uh, the exception being when it when it contradicts the laws of God, uh, which which is kind of interesting that in in the liturgical uh, church communities we drink wine uh, as part of the communion practice. Well, we have wafer we have a a, a wafer and we have a, a little bit of wine as part of the communion practice so even uh, even in the military when when i went over to iraq and afghanistan and they said you cannot have any alcohol i raised my hand and said chaplain i've got to have some some wine for communion and they said all right bring it bring it along you're welcome to bring it you have to keep tabs on it make sure it's uh it's not abused or it's you you keep a close control on it keep it locked up things like that so i had to I had to disobey the laws of man because the laws of God said this is what you do. Um, so, it, so we have to, uh, again, at times, um, we, we have to disobey the laws of man because the laws of God tell us something. Um, but when it's, when it's not prohibited by God um, and the law says don't do it, okay, I don't do it because that's what the law says. So I, I try to be a, a good citizen that
0: way. Definitely understand uh, that. Definitely understand that. Um, you so you're talking about when you went to Afghanistan and Iraq, and that is because those are outwardly dry countries, correct? No right. alcohol allowed, no bars. I mean, I've I've been to Egypt and uh, Algeria, and Oman and. They the hotel might have a beer. The, the, the hotel might have a little bit of beer because I know they have Westerners coming there. But it really those really are dry countries, and it is interesting. They, I had a great time. It was, it was fantastic. Our hosts were fantastic. They they took us to a, a cafe, an open air cafe. It was ten o'clock at night, and we're on in this cafe drinking tea, eating eating appetizers, and smoking shisha, watching a yep. Egyptian soccer club team play and it was fantastic it was great it is interesting because the cannabis plant has a has a has a history in asia as well and well, for me i think of two scriptures actually I, th- I think of one scripture when i think of cannabis and it's in it's in alignment of what you're saying and it's jesus when he says it, it's not what a person puts into their body that defiles them but what comes out of them that defiles them, and then he goes on to talk about the things that hang people up. You know, anger, jealousy, right? All the things that come out of us, pride, all the things that come out of us—that's what defiles us. And with that, and and I'm I don't I I won't go into all the details of it, but there's I think there's ample evidence to to support creationism. And I have to think that when as creationism believing in creationism, the cannabis plant came with it. And when people talk about plant medicine, and, and I get like right now, when you hear plant medicine in the 21st century, it's pretty much cannabis and psychedelics, cannabis and psychedelics. And that, 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 is, that is a small sliver of it. Every single thing we consume started from something natural, organic. Mm-hmm. Everything came from a plant first. Um, I mean, I'm talking about medications. I'm not talking about animals. I'm not talking about like, carnivores or anything like that, but I'm saying medications, pharmaceutical medications. That's what I'm speaking of. They, they all came from natural ingredients. There was no synthetic molecule out in the woods. And somebody said, hey, look, <laughs> there's, a, there's a letter A and a number one next to this thing. It's a it's a molecule of, of this chemical. Right. Everything was derived from something natural, and there there's a, a strand of of uh, cannabis called Charlotte's Web that was named after a, a, a young girl who had some horrible I believe it was seizures, and there she just passed away recently within the last few months I believe, and her story is what really broke CBD into uh, further into gaining further acceptance in, the, in, in mainstream life. And there are some I've read some books um, from medical doctors that that work in cannabis and and there's some amazing things going on with trials and plants and how they use it and how they can use it for, it is pretty amazing. I know that my mother, she's had surgeries. She has uh, a Madison's disease and she was hospitalized, had a bunch of bad surgeries in over the span of six months and narcotics is what they gave her. And it was not good. And that's why I thought maybe that would help her. Canvas would help her. Now, it does help her, but at the same time, this is what some people who live in states where it's not legal run into exactly what you were just talking about. You have to obey the law of the land. So my mother's like, I can't use it because when I go to get these narcotics refilled, prescriptions refilled, they do a drug test. And it's kind of like, okay, the plant isn't okay, but this heavy-duty narcotic is. you got enough of that in your system, but right, it does. A, it lot, does- a
1: lot of our veterans are running into problems where... They live in a state that might legalize marijuana, but because they're being seen by a, a VA facility, they, they can't prescribe that or they can't use that because it doesn't follow the federal guidelines. So the, the federal doctors or federal employees can't prescribe anything like that. So they end up with that, that tension there too.
0: Have you, have you heard anything about whether or not they actually lose any type of care because they've used cannabis?
1: I've not heard that.
0: Me neither. Um, but I'm, I was just curious if you had.
1: Yeah, yeah, I haven't heard anything like that. They, I'm sure they do drug test them while they're there at the VA facility, uh, but I haven't heard anything about you know, losing uh, losing benefits. Uh, you okay. can lose your benefits if you're in prison, um, but really? uh, yeah, yeah. So you can you can actually lose your your VA and lose your uh, your retirement benefits if you're in prison. So really,
0: food for thought. I have for no me. idea. What's that? <laughs> Food for thought for you. <laughs> well, I don't plan on going there. <laughs> yeah, neither do I. <laughs> That's interesting, though. I had no idea. Huh. Well, all right, Eric. Thank you very much. I appreciate it for the we we've Eric and I have known each other since 2017. We are both assigned, even though Eric was uh, commissioned in the U.S. Navy the Coast Guard has uh, an arrangement with the United States Navy where their chaplains will come and work for the Coast Guard. And Eric and I met in 2017. We both retired in the same year in 2020. Yep. And uh, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a good four years knowing you. Eric, you are the first Christian to be on Conversation, Cannabis, and Christianity. And I got to tell you, That is a feat because right now I'm running into Christians who don't want to touch it because touch being a guest on this show because of the cannabis in the name. And there's cannabis folks who say, hey, I don't want to be on your show because I got nothing to do with Christianity. And I'm saying, that's okay. We all view the world the way we view the world. We can talk about it because this plant doesn't know religions. This plant doesn't care if you're an atheist. This plant doesn't care if you're a Christian, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, an agnostic, doesn't care. But if you're a Christian and you believe in creationism, I'm not gonna to speak to evolutionists because I, I'm i not sure what they would answer would be. Then it is reasonable to, to believe that God made the cannabis plant for human consumption. Just like grapes can be turned into wine, just like all kinds of things are used for the benefit of humankind. Can they be abused? Absolutely. Do we know what abuse looks like when we see it? We do. We we see we can see something happening. You see somebody going to the bar too much, you go, hey, you better, you better dial it back before you go down a path and you find yourself in a place that you don't want to be. Same thing with somebody's getting blitzed on cannabis or whatever it is every single day. That's not really quality of life. Those things are being done to escape life and that's the difference um, and i can tell you from from my experience when i graduated high school my friends they had used canvas while we were in high school i never did i was i was in athletics and stuff but when i graduated i used it and here's what happened to me eric i was more inspired and motivated to do my studies than i had been k through 12 <laughs> <laughs> really, I did man. fantastic. My first year of college, I did fantastic, fantastic. And I was, and I was motivated, inspired to learn the material, but that didn't last beyond that year because I was not firmly rooted in who I am in Christ. At that time, I wanted nothing to do with Christ. At that time I was like, Hey, the church we were going to, the denomination was very strict and there was no way I was going to be able to meet the standard. So I figured, hey, if your standard is too high, God, and the enemy over here is saying, if you don't meet that standard, well, you know what? I don't need either one of you. So I say that as a, as a, a short way of saying apathy set in. And what ended up happening with me is that apathy set in all the way. Moved down to South Texas, finished my undergrad at, in Brownsville, Texas, which is right on the border of Mexico. All kinds of drugs come through. They're cheap, they're plentiful. And I went down I went the deep end. But I cannot say that cannabis is a gateway drug. I cannot say that cannabis made me do any of that because it didn't. It doesn't have a brain. I made those choices myself. And it was what was going on in my heart and my head that propelled me to go further down a path that was not good for me. Now, eventually, obviously, I came came to a place where I recognized that if I continued living like that, I was going to be burned out on the beach, far younger than I should be, or looking far older than I should be and wasted. That, that was, and I did not want that regret. Turn it all off, except for alcohol and cigarettes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Turn it all off. But uh, now I have used cannabis since retirement and the, it's, it's different. And I'm not saying the plan is different. I'm saying that I'm no longer who I was then. I am not trying to escape. I'm not trying to run away from responsibility. Apathy does not run my life. Now it's about a quality of life. And this is where less is actually more, you know? And when it comes to the THC levels, I think that if less is more than one small puff, can take care of somebody for hours and that's where that's where i have a different opinion on the thc levels because having lived i mean less is literally more it's like it's not like i light up one of those big old cheech and chongers from up in smoke right, where right. When i went out when the smoke clears i'm i'm sitting parked in front of a <laughs> a post saying oh man what was in that that's not i have responsibilities you know what i mean and and yeah. that is, that is uh, I think this concept is more prevalent than people realize because the rate that opioids are being prescribed, I know of many, many people who take opioids every day and they're driving, they're making decisions, they're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, whoo, this seems kind of dangerous. You know, you, you, that, you know, but I also know firsthand from people, family members and myself that when you're in that kind of pain, that pill does help. But my thought is that that pill is meant to be a temporary fix. And when you look at the statistics of what's tracked between cannabis and opioids, overdose and death are the two stats that are tracked for opioids. Addiction. He's the only one that's, ta- that's tracked for cannabis. Now there's a study out there that says, that seems to be recognized between, <clears throat> excuse me, Christian pharmacologists, as well as secular medical doctors. And they all seem to recognize a study that, that attributes about 9% of the people that will use cannabis will become addicted to it. That, that study seems to be holding across uh, multiple organizations. And there is no tracking of overdose, and there is no tracking of death. And I find that very intriguing because those a lot of the pharmaceutical drugs are harsh; they have severe side effects. I mean, yeah, I'm sure that your- as the I'm sure that as the the laws change, there's going to be
1: a lot more research that goes into that, and I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of people. Uh, but yeah, yeah, likewise, I saw a lot of people on opioids uh, that that it just wrecked their lives. It, it just absolutely ruined them. And these are, these are people that, um, you know, military folks, uh, folks that are, you know, in business, people that, uh, that have very successful businesses that, that they might get hurt. And then a doctor prescribes to them uh, an opioid to help them through a surgery or help them through a, an injury. And, and just, just like that, they're addicted to it. And it's, it's wrecked their lives. And they go in and out of the hospital all the time because they can't, they can't avoid it. They can't stay away from it. And when they detox from that, it, it is a very ugly thing. It is very, very ugly to watch somebody detox from, from addictions, uh, whether from alcohol uh, or from opioids or other things. It's a horrible thing to watch. Uh, I had some people that, you know, they'd warn, warn me, hey, chaplain, go, don't go talking into that person because they're, they're detoxing right now. I'd go in to talk to them and uh, and all kinds of hateful things would come out of their mouth. And I'd, I'd see them the next day and they're a totally different person once those things were cleared out of their system. Uh, but yeah, those, those things are really, really harsh on people and do uh, do some severe damage to them. So I think it is worthwhile for us as a, as a society to investigate it, to, uh, to look into it, to uh, determine what what is proper use, what's good use. Um, and like you said, I'm sure less is more to have just a little bit. I'm sure helps a lot because uh, I, I know a lot of people, again, with, with PTSD and um, and different pains that, that are never going to go away, that just a little bit takes the edge off and,
0: and helps them get through the day. And that's the quality of life that I'm talking about, that I think <clears throat> both of us being on the military side, we see, I think you, you've seen it and, I, and, I've, and I've, you've seen it with your work and both and personal and, and 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 your life as a chaplain I've seen it by reading content from people who are are advocates of it where what you just said, you know what there's they, it takes that edge off of them and that edge is enough to make their family life far better than mm-hmm. if that edge is not removed. And that is that, that that's the impact of it, right It's like it just doesn't help the person. If the person is escaping and, and they're becoming intoxicated by whatever substance, that's different. But right, we're talking right. about somebody who's like struggling and wants to get help, doesn't want to use a pill because, I mean, those things are known. I mean, the opioids are known for constipation. I have no idea why anybody want to be constipated all the time while they're high on an opioid, but just enough to cut the edge. That impacts their marriage it impacts their relationship with their children, it impacts their employers, it impacts everything. And it still just blows my mind that that this plan has been made illegal for so long when it could have been helping so many others, so many others.
1: And I, and I think that's an important distinction to make is, is proper use, not not abuse, is the proper use of it, that that's, that's what we should be after. Um, and I think that's what, what should be advocated
0: amen amen well chapter eric chaplain eric malmstrom united states navy retired thank you so much for your time here on Cam- conversation cannabis and christianity i think we'll have to do it again sometime in the future because i think so you know i know you've done a lot i mean you've seen a lot and that is that is amazing when you think of, I hear, I hear a, a lot of people that have public platforms saying they can't believe in God because there's just too much evil in the world. You have seen all that stuff probably more than they have. Combat and war is probably the worst of human, one of the worst forms of human behavior. And here you are still trusting That Jesus is who he says he is and loves you. That he says he loves you. And that's who you are right now. I thank you because it's been a great conversation. I appreciate you. We'll be back. This is Miguel Torres signing off for Conversation, Cannabis, and Christianity.